Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. I don't think I can remember, at least in my lifetime, probably a more sobering and kind of depressing news cycle than we've experienced the past few months. Uh, you know, I can't even, as, you know, especially as a, as a parent with young kids, can't even process really what happened in, uh, in Texas this, this past week. Um, you know, as I try to read about it, I just, almost like I just have to stop. It's like, just like too much. Um, as before, I want to just pray uh, just for the, for the families in that, in that community right now. Lord, be close to the brokenhearted. Help us uh, as your followers to, to weep with those who weep, to lament. Um, protect us from saying uh, just dumb, simplistic things. And uh, Lord, we grieve and our hearts are broken um, for this. Lord, bring comfort and healing to a situation that just is so rough. Lord, even in the midst of this, we know you're good. But Lord, we, 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 we mourn with those who mourn this morning. Uh, and we think about that and just like what happened as I've just been, you know, pondering the last couple of months of, you know, what we're just, it's like, you know, what, what happened in, in, in Buffalo. And then, you know, we're, we're bombarded with and bombarded, not in a bad sense of, you know, like, as we learn more and more, you know, what's coming out of, you know, Ukraine and the, just the atrocities that are happening to the U- Ukrainian people and, you know, the resulting most likely global food uh, shortage is going to happen from, you know, things you find out, you're like, oh, I didn't know they, you know, 30% or whatever the world's grain. Um, and rising inflation, how that's going to cause, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of hardship and you know, then, as we're, you know, just in our in our own community, the growing you know mental health crisis, uh, just more and more people are struggling. And it, what, 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 anything you think like politics is even even so divided. It used to be something where yeah, you might have different paths, but you at least had the same similar goal. And a lot of the arguments would be the best way to get there. And it seems like that's just gone now. And I and I, I could go on and on, really just this really this heaviness of the last few months, but for but for a while. And it seems like basically basically the only the only thing that anyone can agree on right now is this. That there is just so much brokenness in our world. I don't think you have to, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is. Probably the one of the few things we can unite on is there's so much brokenness in the world. Would you agree? Yeah. At an, almost at an overwhelming level. And oftentimes when we, the brokenness and pain, you know, we see around as your experience, it can cause you to doubt God. Like, God, are you there? Why, why are these things happening? You know, it's caused, you know, maybe you're there, you know someone, or you've been there, that this, you know, looking at the brokenness of the world around you is like, well, the, you know, the classic problem of evil. Like, there can't, there can't be a God with all this, with, with, with all this brokenness, because if he's all-powerful, 
Wouldn't he be able to, wouldn't he be able to do something about it? What is going on? You know, I've talked from a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people, read a lot of people, that it's this reality that we all see that the brokenness of the world around us ends up sometimes being a hindrance or a big barrier to even believing in God. Um, and so if that's, I have, and I have a lot of sympathy for that because that's a challenging question. Why is the world such a, uh, such a, sometimes, even though there's glimpses of good, why is it such a bad place at times? You know, one person that, really wrestled with this, with this issue of the brokenness of the world, was a guy named C.S. Lewis. How many of you guys are familiar with, with C.S. Lewis? He wrote Chronicles of Narnia, but, but he also was a, was a really good thinker and, and, and a theologian. You know, he grew up in England, and he had a really challenging childhood. Uh, C.S. Lewis' mom died when he was young. He was kind of bullied in school. School wasn't a great place for him. And then he, had, he fought in World War I. If you think about World War I, it was like the most brutal... He had, a, he had, you know, ex- experienced kind of humanity and all of its depravity during, during World War I. And that experience of World War I sort of shattered his kind of simplistic childhood faith. And he walked away and he's like, if this is true, like I can't, I can't believe it. And he became an atheist and really a committed naturalist. Uh, as, we, as many of you know, he became a writer and an author and he was interviewed sort of in, during World War II by the BBC. And he had gone kind of through a, through a transformation. But what he talked about in this series of lectures on the, on the BBC in World War II was how sort of his argument for, you know, really against the reality of God because of the brokenness of the world around him uh, started to fall apart a little bit. And it was actually this, this understanding of brokenness that brought him back to, to God. Because he, he, he started to think this, you know, I, I have this feeling that something is broken. The universe is cruel and unjust, but made him ponder this. Where did I get this idea of something being unjust? This deep feeling that I have, where did that come from? And, and he had this famous line, he said this, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So what was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? He was, he was, he was a really good thinker. And so he's like, I, deep down I know something's wrong. But he was a committed naturalist. And so in his worldview, there is no real ultimate justice. The world is a collection of time, space, random chance. And so things like ultimate justice and ultimate meaning weren't, aren't real. They're just things that we impose upon reality. And that's, that's a consistent with his, with his framework. But he was just struck with, but deep down I know that's not true. Like it's not just the world isn't operating according to my preferences. Something is deeply flawed and wrong. And where does this sense of right come from? And he had this, had this line that I love and he said this. If the whole universe has no meaning... We should never have found out that it doesn't have meaning. Just as um, if there was not light in the universe and therefore there was no creatures with eyes, we should have never known that it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. And what he was tapping into, it's, and I like to think of it this way, it's as if we all, deep down in us, have this distant memory of Eden. It's almost where somewhere tucked right in the back, we all have this longing for a world 
you know, as the way it should be. You know, the scriptures, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way. He says that God has set eternity in the human heart. And like the reason why we all long for a better world and long for a world that's not the way it is is because we are actually created for the world that we long for. That is where that longing comes from. Because in the, in the beginning of the story of, of the scriptures, we don't start out with brokenness. In fact, what we start out with is this. We start out with God's plan was for a world that was whole. It says in the scriptures, the world was created good. And so that longing and that ache you have for why, why are my relationships not the way they should be? Why is the world the, the, the way it is now? Why can't it be X is there because that is the world that you were created for. God's plan for us was good. So what happened? Why are we here and not here? Well, the answer that the scriptures give us is something called sin. Which we can, we can oversimplify sin and have it be this outdated concept, but sin is a very you know, complex and integrated topic. Because sin isn't just you know, bad choices or not doing what you're supposed to do. Sin is disobeying you know, God's plan. His sin at its core is saying, I want to be the one in charge of making decisions for right and wrong, not God. But also, it's as if sin has a power that almost in a way controls us and we contribute to that brokenness. How many of you are honest? Be like, yeah, the world's a broken place. I have stuff. But like, if I'm honest, like I also contribute to the brokenness of the world around me in my relationships and, and, and putting myself first. Might be small things. We all, because of sin, contribute to this brokenness. But none of us like to live in brokenness. None of us, you know, we, you know want, want to be here. So kind of the human tendency is we try to find, kind of find ways out. So one of the ways that we try to get out of, get out of our brokenness is trying to climb the ladder of success. You know, I get this, I know deep down something, something's not right, but maybe I'll be okay if I can achieve this dream or buy this house or become something. But the problem is that doesn't fix the brokenness because if you've ever climbed that ladder, what happens when you get to the top? You're like, is, that, is this it? I thought there'd be more. Another way we can try to escape our brokenness, oof, I'm bad at drawing, uh, is by trying to numb it. By trying to either distract ourselves with constant entertainment, you don't even have to think about it, or through substances, or whatever. We, we can try to numb this brokenness we feel so we don't, have to, we don't have to think about it. Another thing we can do, which doesn't sound that bad, is that we can try to do something about it. We can try to, you know, fix ourselves or contribute to try to make the world a, a better place, volunteer, get involved in the community. All fine things, but here's the thing. None of these things can actually do anything to fix the brokenness. Maybe they can help clean up a little bit of the mess at best, but nothing is fixing it. But here's the good news of the gospel. 
We can't fix our mess. But somebody came who can. The story of Jesus, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, perfect God, entered into our brokenness. He entered into our broken world and he lived the type of life that we all should have lived. You know, he was, he was perfect. He gave us the example of what humanity was supposed to be like. And he did not exempt himself really from any of the hardships of life. You read his life and it's like Jesus intentionally went out of his way to experience difficulty and trials and loneliness and poverty and being betrayed, all of these things. And he lived, lived a perfect life and he went to a cross to both take on the brokenness of the world, but also to pay the penalty for our sin that is contributing to that brokenness. But we're here this morning to celebrate and to, and to worship because Jesus did not stay dead. He rose three days later from the grave announcing that, death and, that sin and death had been defeated. And the one thing that's awesome is that because of this, Jesus offers us a way out of our brokenness. He's not content, content for us to stay there. He offers us a way out of our brokenness. And the promise of the scriptures is anyone who is willing to turn, or another, it's another word for repent, turn from their ways of trying to fix the brokenness inside of them or numb or run or or run from him and believe that Jesus is who he says he was and believe in him as their savior and their Lord and the one who has come to restore them is going, the promises you will be restored to God's plan and forgiven. And the invitation of the gospel is not just to believe to be restored, but also to live the way you're called to live by making Jesus king. So if that is true, if that is a picture as simplistic as it is drawn of reality, that the world is broken, but we were not created for a broken world, that we are created in, in goodness and this alienation we feel between our current situation and the way things are is because we weren't created for this. And all of our attempts to work ourselves on our own out of our brokenness are not good enough. But Jesus came and died so we could be restored and forgiven to him. If that is the true nature of reality, does that make sense of where some of your longings and deepest desires come from? Does that make sense why you long for a better world? Does that make sense of why deep down you know the world, there's something about the world that is not right and you can't put it to right on your own no matter how hard you try? And for those of you who have experienced restoration and forgiveness through Jesus, does that make sense for why it's such good news? And so, so my question as you come in this morning, as you're kind of hearing this, you know, there's really, the, the scriptures say there's, there's two types of people. Those that are kind of in their brokenness still, and those that have been restored and forgiven by Jesus and restored back to God's plan. So my question for you, if, I, if we were sitting down at coffee and I just explained it to you and asked, you know, which one of these, which one of these circles do you think you're, you're in? You know, what, what, what do you think you would say? And then my next question is, what, what, one, what one do you want to be in? Because if you come in this morning, you're kind of stuck in brokenness, 
and sin you can't get out of it. Jesus died so that you can know him and be reconciled to him. And the good news of the gospel is he is not going to turn anyone away. In one sense, Christianity is the most inclusive religion ever because Jesus says, anyone who comes to me and calls on my name, anybody who calls on the name of Jesus as their savior will be saved. So if you're here today and you find yourself here and you don't want to, my question is, what's, what's keeping you from that? What, what is holding you back from embracing the forgiveness and restoration that Jesus has on offer? Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's poor past experiences. Sometimes it's because you look around and you see that, you know, Christians are often a, like a hypocritical mess. And I would say, while that can be true, one day you're going to stand before God and he's not going to say, hey, tell me about all the people who didn't follow me well. He's not going to ask you that question. What he's going to say is, how did you respond to my son? You're not going to be held accountable for, you know, being a pastor right now is really hard because you hear about every single scandal in the world (laughs) involving pastors. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them. Um, So pray for your pastors. Pray for me. (laughs) But God's not going to hold you accountable for that. He's going to say, how did you respond to my son? And the good news is you can just, you don't have to just guess. You you can right now, like, I believe that story. I want to embrace Jesus as my my king, as my savior. And here's here's what you can do. You know, if you've been running and this is the day you're like, I'm done running. You can just pray and tell him that. You can pray and say something as simple as this. This is not magic. It's not a formula. But you can say something as simple as, God, I'm very sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the way that I've contributed to the brokenness of the world. I want to turn from that. I believe that you know you are the son of God. I believe that you lived the perfect life I could not do and you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again on the third day. I want to make you my king and be forgiven. And that's the gospel is good news. And the scriptures say if that's if when you embrace the good news of Jesus, your first act of obedience is to get baptized. Often we see over in scripture, someone heard the good news, believed, and then got baptized. And so why in this church we baptize by, by immersion is that we believe it's a way you act out the gospel. That when you go under the water, under the waters of baptism, it's how you're associating with the death of Jesus. And when you come out of the waters, you're associating with his resurrection. And for those of you who know Jesus as your savior, the scriptures say, you know what? You have been commissioned as ambassadors to go and share that good news with others. You know, this is why we, the, what, what is the church? You know, it's the collection of people who have believed this good news, who come together to worship, but also to be trained. Also to encourage one another so we can share this good news and go out. So why did I start with this amazing art project this morning? Two reasons. One, the gospel of Jesus is the best news that there is and needs to be regularly explained. And if you're coming to, you know, if you're coming to worship with us, I don't want very many weeks to go by where you don't hear, this is the good news and here's how you respond to it. Even as simple as this, this all, this all is. It's one of the reasons why I kind of 
gave everyone, everyone this. So might, might, might jog, jog your memory of that. But, but here, is, here is the second thing. And I'll, before I go back, like, again, if you're here and, you, and, you, and you've never made this commitment, like, I'm so glad you're here. Like, Jesus, you never see him forcing himself on people. But he was always saying, like, repent and believe. He, he, he never said, well, there's, if, you, if, you know, if you're not cool with me, there's another way. He's like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way. But everyone who comes to me will be saved. And so that is my heart and desire for, for all who come and all who, who, who might be listening. But here's the second reason. I just walked through this, basically an expanded version of a tool we learned last week in the Love Your Neighbor training on how to share the gospel with somebody. Because I am more convinced than ever that every follower of Jesus has to at least have some simplistic way of sharing the good news. You know, it's hard. It's awkward at times. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to ease into it. But have you ever had this, if you're, if you're a Christian, have you ever had this time where someone, where maybe it comes up. Someone's like, all right, just tell me, tell me about it. And you're like, oh boy, where do I start? And it's like 75 minutes later of random wanderings. The person's just like, what was that? I think some of us have had that experience before, but I've been on either end of it. And this just kind of gives you a framework. I think it might have been Billy Graham. Someone came up to him once. It was an older lady came up and was like, you know what? I don't like the way you share the gospel. He was like, honestly? He goes, honestly, I really don't either. Like, do you have a better way? I'd love to learn from you. How Can you help me? And she's like, well, I don't, I don't do it. He goes, oh, well, I like my bad way over your, not, over your way of doing nothing. <laughs> uh so if you, this is, what's, what's great about this, if you're in a life group, we're going to be practicing. If not, I'm going to send out a link that kind of, kind of walks you through it. I had a picture. It didn't, it didn't go through. I actually walked this through with, you know, my son's five and he, and I, and I showed him how to draw this and un, like probably not a shocker. It looks better at five. Uh, so what's so great about this is like all of you can do what I just did and probably do it better. With this a little bit of practice. I'm fully convinced, not just the drawing part, but even the, for sure that I got a C minus in art one in, in my freshman year of high school and I tried. It wasn't because I was a slacker. I was that in other classes, but I tried. That's how bad my, my, my drawings are. Um, every follower of Jesus, especially now, should feel equipped to share their faith because here, uh, here are the brutal facts. You know, my, when my buddy Josh was in last weekend, he was just, he kind of did a demographic study before, before coming, one I've done before. He's like, you know, there's probably 23 to 25,000 people who live in Keene, 75,000 or so in Cheshire County, and just by people, like when they poll people, probably, at, you know, generously 5 to 7% of our community would say, yeah, I believe, I believe this story. That's probably a generous number, but let's bump it up to 10%. Let's say only 10% of this community believes this story. He says, that still leaves 67,500 people in your county alone who don't know Jesus. And remember, it is not our job. We, we, we can't convince anybody of this story. We don't save anybody. It's not because you have the slickest presentation. This is not a sales pitch. It's God working in your, in your heart. And, and, and it's God's in charge of saving people. But we, as his followers, have the responsibility as his ambassadors to share this good news. The scriptures say, how, how, how will they hear unless somebody tells them? You know, 
and I, again, I've been really challenged by this because, you know, in this setting, it's, e- it's easy, easier for me to share this than just, like, just randomly with my friends and family. Uh, I've kind of always, even, even as Josh was joking, you almost have this, like, if I'm really nice and I try to love people like Jesus, they're eventually going to go, can you just tell me how to become a Christian and get saved? In, like, 30 years, it's happened once. And it was from a former youth group kid who I told it like 50 times before. <laughs> like, it just like never happens. And so there's going to be some way where we just have the courage at times to be like, hey, have you ever, has anyone ever told you the gospel? Has anyone ever shared with you the good news of Jesus? You know, Matthew, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is the last thing that Jesus kind of left the the church with and in the scriptures we know that the last words of people are very important the way the way it's set up and this is what jesus i'm just going to read 18 through 20 this is what jesus said to his followers the last thing he said and jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, this week, I got a chance to just kind of quickly look back, uh, almost four years ago now, at the first sermon I ever gave at Elm City. When we were getting started before, we were in the process of coming together with Praxis. Before that happened, it was September 9th, 2018. And I was looking back at that manuscript. I had a quote in there from D.L. Moody, who said this, Our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. And that has always stuck with me, especially when I think about the church. We can do so many things, but if we are not succeeding at the one important mission that Jesus has given us out of Matthew 28, of going and making disciples, then we're failing. And I'm not saying that we are failing, but it's always so good to be reminded of what is our mission? What is the one thing as a church we're called to be about above all else? And it's to go and make disciples. And when Jesus gave the church this mantra, he was not saying, go and find a bunch of existing Christians and organize them into classrooms and give them a 45-minute lecture in the discipleship class and then send them off and call it good. Like sometimes that is a part of discipleship. But he was saying, you know, go out to people that don't know. Like, He didn't give this into a world that was full of Christians to organize. He said, go and make disciples of all different types of people, all ethnos. And that's not just all ethnicities and all nations. You know, we live in not a very, I would say, uh, ethnically diverse area. But we have a ton of diversity. If you just, if you remove that out when it comes to, you know, socioeconomic and political beliefs and just... We, we are still a very diverse community. And he, Jesus calls us, he's going to make disciples of all different types of people. And if those people respond, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as they start to gather, teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey that. And then train them and send them out to share that good news with others. And so we're going to spend, well, this week's just about over, the next three weeks talking about Jesus' mission for us as a church. 
because we're at this, I think we're at this critical point where we're, you know, about four years old. We got much more, we got established faster than expected. We have a building, we have stat, like all this. But that was not the ultimate call Jesus gave us. He helped us, he has blessed us with this so that we as a church can be about making disciples and sharing the good news of Jesus in word and in deed with those around us and living lives of love and sacrificial service that look different in a world that's getting increasingly hostile. We get to be ambassadors of love. So we're called to step into that. And so as we leave here this morning, I just have really four kind of takeaways, four quick takeaways for you to practice. And the first is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, take time to reflect on the goodness of God in your life. It's amazing how much understanding God's love for you and and seeing how good he has been to you really emboldens you to share that with others. You're never going to do this out of guilt. You're never going to be like, oh, I don't share enough, so I better just do it. It might work for uh, two days. Now, the, you're going to be led into this out of really seeing what God has, has done for you. We're going to sing a song in a minute called The Goodness of God. That's a great place to start. Next is pray that God would give you a heart for those around you who don't know him. Pray that God will give you opportunities. One thing I would encourage you to do while we printed this on, on cardstock and handed it out is on the back, just write down some names of people that you know. We're not going to be responsible for the 67,500. You're going to be responsible for who in your sphere of influence did you use opportunities to share and word and deed. And just, it's amazing when you start writing people's names down and just praying for them. How many, how, how like, coincidentally, opportunity, more opportunities happen. So, so hold on to this. Uh, and then the fourth thing I would say is, you know, get, get equipped. Get equipped to share. We're, we're going to send out a link that sh- you know, shows you how to share it in like three or four minutes this way. Um, I think someone next week, not me, is going to model it again about how to do that. If you're in a life group, you're going to kind of talk and practice with each other. Kind of put some handles on feeling confident of just sharing the good news of Jesus. God has entrusted us with this great message. It is good news. And again, our fear with our lives in this church should not be a failing, but of succeeding at just the things that aren't that important at the expense of the most important thing. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.